Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. This is an election year. Will Donald Trump be re-elected? What is going on with the Democrats? And has America gone even more crazy? We'll be discussing all of these things and more, more than once a week, because we don't feel you have enough Americano in your life. And I have a special offer for Americano listeners. If you want to subscribe to the Spectator's US edition, which is brilliant, by the way, I edit it, you can go to www.spectator.us forward slash subscribe and take advantage of our special Americano offer. If you insert the code Americano in capital letters like Donald Trump on Twitter, you will get 5% off. Please do so. I'm joined by Amber Athey, our new Washington editor, and Matt McDonald, our managing editor, from outside Manchester in New Hampshire. And we've been going around the state looking at various candidates. Amber, let's start with you last night because you were at the big Trump rally in a stadium in Manchester and you described it as pretty energetic. It was wild. The arena at Southern New Hampshire University apparently holds tens of thousands of people. It was filled to capacity with even overflow. People were camping out for this rally for 35 hours in advance. And for anyone who's been to Manchester knows this time of year, it's pretty snowy and cold. So these people were camped out on the pavement for multiple days ahead of this rally. Uh, And still people were trying to file in after the event had already started, waiting inside for up to seven or eight hours in their seats. And as you suggest in your piece, I mean, it's Trump magnificently trolling the Democrats again, which he does seem to do with an incredible skill. I mean, because, as he said on Twitter, their primary is looking pretty boring Um, And he has sort of spiced it up. Yeah, he did the same thing ahead of Iowa as well, had a rally there trying to pull some of the attention away from the Democrats. And when you go around to some of these Democratic events, as uh, you and Matt have done, you see the crowds are not even anywhere close to the type of rally that Trump can draw. Maybe a few hundred people at most. Bernie notably had an event last night with about 7,000 people, but still not to the level of a 25,000-person rally. Yes, there's definitely enthusiasm for Sanders, but perhaps not on the same level uh, as Trump at the moment. Uh, Matt, you were actually at the same stadium yeah. two not three nights ago. Yeah, on Saturday night, on I Saturday. was at the SNHU Arena for the New Hampshire Democratic Party's McIntyre Shaheen 100 Club dinner. Yes, I rehearsed that. Um, so for, for that, all 11 candidates, Democratic candidates, were speaking there. And the stadium, which I think is about 12,000 capacity total, wasn't full. There was probably about... Uh, Andrew Yang, who's obviously the numbers guy, said there were 7,000 people in the stadium that night. So it's a pretty stark parallel between that and it being a sellout where people are lining up days in advance. And you were struck, I know you're not a fan, but I, you were struck by quite a, a bit of enthusiasm for Buttigieg. Yeah, I mean, the, the press pen were closest to, we had Buttigieg, Buttigieg contingent to our right, and they stretched around about four sections of this arena very well prepared in terms of the efforts they'd gone to to synchronise their outfits. They were in fluorescent yellow t-shirts, they had the kind of clappers that you, uh, you would used to have at like an old football match, and... All of them had uh, placards and were chanting "Boot Edge Edge, Boot Edge Edge" throughout. So I've I've seen him described as uh, America's Macron. Okay, uh, he's about a similar age as uh, to Macron, or at least what the age Macron was when he was elected. Yeah, and there's I went to Macron rallies, and there is that similar 
kind of slightly culty vibe of everyone. It's a cult of no personality, yeah. uh, <laughs> basically. I think I think Macron actually has more edge than Buttigieg, which is saying something because Macron isn't, doesn't particularly have a have a great deal of edge. Buttigieg, I think. Obviously, in this Democratic primary, what a lot of candidates try and do is pitch themselves as being the new Barack Obama. But as I said in my piece about the debate, Buttigieg is more Beto than Barack in that he effectively speaks in platitudes and doesn't really offer that much, In by the way, of substantial, consistent policy objectives, I don't think. Which is why Klobuchar tried to pin him down on that in the debate. She's competing with him for that same crowd of moderates who are fleeing Joe Biden's camp in droves. Uh, and she's and she's doing that by saying, look, you said that you were for Medicare for all, you know, two years ago. And now you're saying that you offer a different version of it. So it's it's the it's the classic argument of saying that he's uh, oscillating between the two extremes to try and say whatever he can to, to build support. And Amber, Trump, it's, it's obviously sort of become a kind of Trumpist talking point to say how boring the Democratic race is. Uh, but Democrats don't seem to be helping themselves by actually making it quite quite boring. Uh, Do you think that by kind of teasing the Democrats about how badly they're doing, Trump is in danger of of sort of provoking the resistance again to to form another movement? Yeah, I do worry that perhaps the Trump campaign in general has been a bit overconfident against his opponents. Um, They've been saying since, you know, two years ago when they started thinking about who Trump was going to end up running against, that every single one of the Democratic candidates is a socialist. And that type of attack doesn't necessarily work on someone like Amy Klobuchar, even Buttigieg, obviously not Joe Biden. So the idea that they're just going to paint the entire field with one broad brush, even after whoever wins the primary uh, and starts running against Trump in the general, it seems like it might be a case where they're underestimating their opponents the same way that Trump was underestimated back in the 2016 election. It could be dangerous for them. And also he, I mean, perhaps made a rather bad misstep, perhaps it wasn't, uh, with his spending bill yesterday, mm-hmm. which could be portrayed as hurting the precise people that Trump is supposed to appeal to the most, working class Americans. Yeah, I think the timing of it was really suspect because obviously Trump campaigned on cutting deficits in 2016, but he didn't really ever make any attempt to do so. Instead, making these massive trillion dollar spending deals with the Democrats over the past several budget years But now he's decided just before this contentious election, when he has plenty of other achievements to run on, that he would like to now be the president of cutting spending. This is a priority that was huge for Republicans, obviously Tea Party Republicans, back in 2008 and 2012. But the party has changed significantly since then. And that kind of appeal really doesn't drive Trump's base, which is full of populist voters that care much less about spending and deficits and budgets than they do about working class ideals. And there is, I mean, there's quite an interesting argument that Trump deliberately creates negatives for himself because he he quite often will just mix up uh, what you're supposed to think he's doing or who he's supposed to be appealing to because he likes to keep things, as he puts it, nice and complicated. Yeah, I think he kind of appreciates creating a challenge for himself. I think he views, and this has been said a lot, but I think it's true that Trump really does view this presidential election and politics in general as sort of a reality TV show. And so he likes to keep things interesting. That's precisely why he always knocks the Democrats for allegedly having a boring race. Mm -hmm. And then you have the campaign pointing to, of course, that Democratic caucuses in Iowa, where even though it was exciting, it was exciting in a way that was 
incredibly detrimental to the Democrats because now there's a talking point that if these people cannot even run a caucus properly, how are they supposed to have a government takeover of health care and other large government type proposals? Matt, we went to see Joe Biden last night and it was sort of, it was, it was tinged with sadness, I'd say. <laughs> I mean, his campaign is not doing very well. I, I'm slightly more energetic than I was expecting, given all the sort of hype there's been about it. It was a younger crowd. It was a younger crowd. It did um, feel like a dog's 17th birthday party. And at, the, <laughs> and at the end, they turned up the music extremely loudly so that Biden could have an excuse for not hearing what anyone was saying to him, I think. Such as yourself. Such as myself. Yeah. I, I asked him about Boris and Brexit, uh, and he had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> but um, it was, I mean, he, he still got a little bit of his folksy old charm. Yeah, he's got star, he has star quality. But he did look... Doddery, it's fair to say. Although I did think we saw Bernie Sanders yesterday too. I thought he looked pretty doddery. And so it is the, the sort of uh, the, the race of senility. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, that's one of Buttigieg's strengths is that he was born 40 years later than the other candidates, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's why a lot of people are, are looking to him as their kind of steady option. Biden, I don't think... He, he's got angrier as the, the weeks have progressed because I think he feels maybe perhaps entitled to, the, to this uh, mantle. And therefore, that's why he's been making some pretty strange jabs at people like Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg, who have been doing significantly better in the polls than, than he has. Mm. And we, someone else, else who's performing quite well, uh, surprisingly to me at least, is Amy Klobuchar, who seems to be coming third in the polls at the moment. What do you think explains her recent emergence the failure elsewhere in the uh, in the party i think yeah. a, a lot of people have said about uh, amy klobuchar that she should have been performing better than she has in in the past weeks and maybe this is finally the kick in of what they can't decide whether to call clomentum or clobomentum yeah uh, which is uh, and this is amber this is is it not this is a state in which warren seems to not appeal to people because she is uh, she's sort of perceived as sort of elitist right i mean this is at its core, a very working class area. Most of the people that we've encountered seem to be union workers or people who are in blue collar or, or ser- lower level service jobs. And someone who is a Harvard professor who appeals to the liberal wine mom is simply not going to get a lot of play here. And Klobuchar does appeal a bit more to working class people. Why, why do you think that is? Well, she has more of a moderate streak. She's sort of the female Joe Biden, but with uh, way fewer gaffes yeah. and a much better debate performances. Um, her last two debate performances have really helped bolster her support and made her a viable option for people who want a democratic standard bearer who's not a far left progressive who's going to overhaul the healthcare system. She kind of gets the best of both worlds for them. Working class people famously love corporate lawyers as well, which is what she was before she was uh, in the Senate. Um, uh, Kamala Harris worked for Kamala Harris. Well, she, she was yeah. also a, pr- a prosecutor, so that's something yeah. that she was getting tackled for in the debate was Klobuchar's prosecutorial record and being, too, being tough on crime and also tough on the people who worked for her in her law firm as well, I believe. And so we think overall it looks like Bernie will still carry this, although perhaps not quite as sweepingly um, as he did before. He had a huge rally last night in front of 7,000 people, I think it yeah. was, was that number? 7,500 with the Strokes and, <coughs> and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But that's still less than, how many did Trump get? 12, it was 12,000 12, 12, 12, 12, on yesterday. And he had Donald Trump Jr. warming up for him, so... Yeah, yeah and Vice <laughs> President Mike Pence as well. 
Oh yes, of course, yeah, and that he's not an exciting speaker. I've no, seen. but the crowd loved him. Oh really? Yeah, I mean he's dreadfully boring, but they were going absolutely wild, and it was interesting actually. The biggest applause line, which kind of contradicts what I said about the campaign focusing on the socialism in the Democratic Party. The biggest applause line for Mike Pence was America will never be a socialist country. So at least with Trump's base, that is a winning message. It's just, does that have broader appeal? Yes. I think, I think it's interesting because one of the things that Bernie's been consistent about saying is in the, over the last couple of days when I've seen him speak is no matter who the nominee is, we will support them, which obviously last time was one of the concern about the Sanders people because they thought it was Bernie or bust. And therefore, if that's the case, the Democratic nominee is either going to be a socialist, as in mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders, or supported and associated by, with socialists because he'll be endorsing them. Right, and Biden has already warned about that. He uh, has said in interviews that he worries that Bernie's presence alone in the primary, regardless of whether or not he's successful, will taint the Democratic Party for the general. Sure. Well, it's interesting because I think Bernie's campaign perhaps one of its flaws so far has been that it has been a little bit more establishment, a little bit, it's certainly more professional. Mm -hmm. And he hits these sort of key democratic talking points quite a lot that he doesn't really sound very comfortable saying, or it doesn't seem to come naturally to him. I mean, I think he is obviously pro-choice, but he expressed quite an extreme pro-choice position uh, in an interview recently. Well, he said that pro-life, you couldn't be pro-life. You can't be pro-life and a Democrat, yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, kind of odd and not really where he was coming from in 2016. Mm -hmm. Is he trying to walk some delicate line? He obviously has to walk a delicate line between being the insurgent radical and somebody who is acceptable to the Democratic Party. I think it's it's partially that. It's also partially just him trying to confront front-runner status because obviously he's been, every time he, when he ran last time, he was the kind of dark horse but when it was him and Hillary whereas now because he's you know he's, he's leading in the polls and I don't think he, you know, don't think he necessarily knows what to do with it mm. um, however I do I did think in the debate on Friday he seemed more comfortable in that mantle which is why he was doing the kind of calls for unity uh, he seemed more man- uh, more comfortable in his front row status than Buttigieg did because Buttigieg was more kind of nervous in, in the way in which he was prepared to go after other candidates whereas in the debate Bernie ten- uh, rose above the fray a bit more I think we will end it there and we'll do another one after we have the result tonight. Thank you, Amber, and thank you, Matt.